So today we essentially start a new series even though we're still in the book of Romans because we finished this 1 through 11 segment that ends with Amen. And Paul has given us a very comprehensive answer to some very pointed questions. In fact, questions that he said were intended to slander his position. And then he starts 12 through 16 where he's going to show us what righteousness looks like. Whereas in a 1 through 11, he answered these questions, these allegations about what he taught concerning righteousness. So what I'm going to do today is review 1 through 11 real quickly and just make sure we have the context of where this 12 through 16 fits in. And then I'm going to give you an overview of 12 through 16. Then we'll look at Matthew 23, which is kind of a contrast to to 12 through 16. So first let's review 1 through 11. And let's do that by starting at Romans 1, 16 and 17. Let's go back to the theme verse. The theme verse in Romans 1, 16 and 17 is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, that is, as it is written, the just or the righteous, same word, shall live by faith. So the point of this book is to support the notion that righteousness comes from faith. That's the point of this letter. You remember it's written to a group of believers in Rome whose faith is being spoken of throughout the whole world. So we're not trying to get anybody justified in this book. What we're trying to do is help people build them up by explaining the gospel holistically. And salvation, as we talked about, is not just limited to justification. It's It includes being saved from the power of sin in our daily lives. Uh, It it includes being saved from despair, the consequences of sin. It it includes uh, includes even the national salvation of Israel, as we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. So that's a generic term that uh, requires context to understand what's it talking, what's being delivered from what in this particular circumstance. The emphasis in this theme verse is on believe and faith. So how does righteousness come? From faith to faith. It starts at faith. It ends at faith. So then he goes through and he tells us that, that righteousness is imputed. We actually get righteousness when we believe. God just gives it to us. And the reason he does that is because we can't get it any other way. We're not capable of being good enough to become righteous. So Abraham is the father of all who believe. So when we believe, we get the same thing Abraham. Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed prior to circumcision being instituted. That came decades later. He believed prior to the law being instituted. That came centuries later. Abraham believed it was counting to him to righteousness. So righteousness is imputed. It's just given to us. It's a free gift. And that's where the objectors come in. Because Paul's point is righteousness comes apart from the law. And the objectors come in and say, well, if the righteousness comes apart from the law, then that means that you could just break the law. And then righteousness would still be there. And Paul says, well, yes, that's true because we all break the law. That's kind of the point. And they say, well, that can't be the case because if righteousness comes and you can break the law, then what that would mean is that you can sin all you want to and Jesus' grace will just 
continue to mount up. And if that's the case, then we would all sin all the time. And that is, in fact, the slander that Paul's competitors... That's the slander that they use to characterize Paul's teaching. And they say, you should not listen to Paul because he says you ought to sin that grace might abound. You ought to sin, you ought to do evil that good may come, is actually the phrase that he uses. And so Paul uses one through eight, largely, to answer that allegation. And he says, well, that is what happens because we all sin. And what, what does happen is when we sin, grace does abound. If we didn't, we would all be lost. But we don't want to sin, even though we can and do. We don't want to for three reasons. One is, we've been delivered from death. Why would you want to go back into it? Death's not good. Living's good. Second is, we've been delivered from slavery. Why would you want to go back into it? And the third is, you've been delivered from the condemnation of the law. Why would you want to go back under it? All these things have immense negative consequences that you've been delivered from. And the way you get righteousness is not by trying to serve the law. The way you get righteousness is by living the substitutionary life that God's given us. He gave us a substitutionary death so we could have a righteousness imputed to us. And then when we receive that imputed righteousness, He gives us a substitutionary life that we can now live. Having been given this life, why would we go into death? It's just not, it doesn't make any sense to do that. And then we saw over the last couple of weeks, he answered another question, which was, well, if God set aside the law, then doesn't that mean he set aside Israel? And he says, no, of course not. I didn't set, set aside Israel because the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So that's more or less what uh, we saw in 1 through 11. In this theme verse, 1, 16 and 17, righteousness is the theme, from faith to faith. This righteousness is the word diakosune, or dike, uh, whether it's depending on whether it's a verb or noun form. And it occurs, by my count, 53 times in the book of Romans. It is the point. How is righteousness achieved? What does it look like? We can see this in the uh, in Romans eleven one and in nine thirty. In Romans eleven one, we can kind of get a summary of these two big points. Romans eleven one. I say then, has God cast away His people? Certainly not. God hasn't cast away Israel. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. And then the, as to the first point, he, repu- he uh, repeated that in, in Romans 9.30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness. Why? Even the righteousness of faith. Because they pursued it by faith. That's how you get righteousness, by faith. From faith to faith. Faith, 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 faith. That's how righteousness is achieved. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. So when we try to achieve righteousness through rules and procedures, it doesn't happen. Righteousness happens when we pursue it by faith. So that's the context of a and review of Romans 1 through 12. So then he gets to, sorry, 1 through 11. So then he gets to 12 and he says, I beseech you therefore... So you've heard people say when you see a therefore, always ask why it's what it's there for. 
Well, this is therefore, because of all these answers in 1 through 11, now what? And so now we'll talk about what righteousness looks like. And what I'm going to try to do is give you an overview of 12 through 16 and a contrast to Matthew 23 now. What righteousness looks like and what unrighteousness looks like. Because this, this notion of... We're, we're talking about a fairly complex conceptual notion here. Live a substitutionary life of the Spirit and imputed righteousness that's been given to you by faith. You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen evidence of things not seen. So let's say you go to a courtroom and you say, Your Honor, here's my Exhibit A. And the, and the judge says, You're not holding anything up. And you say, Well, this is the evidence of things not seen. What's going to happen? It's not going to go over very well, right? This is a complex notion, this, this faith thing. So uh, this is not easy. This is not an easy... Uh, thing to grasp, which is why I think Paul's spending all this time on it. But what he's going to try to do then is take this very uh, theoretical co- concept, this this thing that's uh, invisible, tangible but invisible. You know, we talked about paradox, right? It's very tangible but invisible. How can you have evidence of things not seen? So he's going to take that and in 12 through 16, he's going to start making it very practical and say, it looks like this which I think we'll find very helpful. Okay, so 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. Okay, now I want to look at this word reasonable. It is the Greek word logikos. What does that sound like? Logical. Okay, and they've translated it here reasonable. I actually think it would be better if they would have translated it logical. So, here's what he's saying. Therefore, given all the stuff in 1 through 11, the logical thing for you to do is lay down and die and let someone eat you. Because that's what a sacrifice is. You ever think about that? A sacrifice is something that gives up its life for the pleasure of another. The way the Hebrew sacrifices work is you take a lamb and you would kill it and then you'd roast it and you salt it, and then you eat it. So it's a barbecue. And everybody enjoyed it, and God enjoyed it, because it's, a, it's something I'm giving something. Uh, part of it went to the priest, so the priest could have something to eat. Part of it went to the family, so the families could have something to eat. Occasionally you'd have a sacrifice where you burn everything. That was more the exception than the rule, from what I can tell. So a sacrifice gives up its life for the pleasure of another. So the logical thing for you to do, given 1 through 11, is give up your life for the pleasure of someone else. But by living. And the only way we can live, we've seen this, right? The only way we can live is by putting something to death. What do we have to put to death in order to live? Self. Yeah. We have to put self to death, and then we have this substitutionary life God's given us, and we live the resurrected life. That's the logical thing to do. That's interesting because we started this whole thing with the logic of these objectors that said, well, wait a minute. If I can sin and still go to heaven when I die, then wouldn't that mean I would sin? Because sin is fun. I mean, that, that's how you live it up, is by debauchery. That's how you really live. And so wouldn't I do that all I want to? 
And Paul says, "Mm, no, not if you're thinking right. Because all those things bring death. And they bring slavery. I mean, you think drugs are fun? Well, they bring addiction. You you think that adultery is fun? It kills your family and your marriage. See? Death, slavery, negative consequences, condemnation. That's what all these things bring. So no, it doesn't make any sense. So the logical thing to do for us, given all the 1 through 12, is to give up our lives. That we may take up our lives and live unto God. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world's idea would be that if you can go somewhere and what happens there stays there and there's no consequences. I mean, if you take what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, what is that really saying? There's no negative consequences to your behavior here. All you got to do is bring your money to us, leave it here, and all the consequences go away. No, do not be conformed to this world. Don't listen to the world. It lies. But be transformed by changing your mind. Changing your mind to what? The way God looks at things. That you may prove what is good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So now what we're doing is we're actually changing our mind, living this resurrected life that God's given us. He's imputed righteousness, but He's given us a resurrected life. And when we walk in this life, we're actually doing God's will. Okay, so what does this look like? I'm going to kind of blow through 12 through 16. What I tried to do is pick out most of the verbs... So we could see what's in this list. What does it look like to live righteousness? However, before I... And and interestingly enough, and interestingly enough, not in the list is tell others about Jesus, go door-to-door evangelism, missions, church attendance, baptism, daily devotionals other than prayer. Prayer is in the list. Or scripture memory, not in the list. Don't you find that interesting? Now, why would those things not be in the list? We'll talk about this. I think you, we will do some of these things because of what, what is in the list. But generally speaking, what we're talking about here, if we're talking about renewed mind, then what we're talking about is motivations more than we're talking about to-do lists. We as people tend to prefer do, to-do lists. Why? We can control a to-do list. And God's not interested in what we can control. He's interested in who we can become. Who we are on the inside. So, nothing wrong with any of these things. But they are probably byproducts of what really matters. And what really matters is a changed mind. And a changed heart. So before I go through the 12 through 16, what it looks like list, let me go through Matthew 23 and go through the what... What righteousness does not look like list. This is what righteousness does not look like. 12 through 16 will tell us what righteousness does look like. Matthew 23 will tell us what righteousness does not look like. Matthew 23, then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples and saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you, observe. That observe and do. But do not do according to their works. 
Okay? They're the authorities. They are your spiritual authorities. They know the Bible backwards and forwards. So when they tell you something, do, do that. But do not, do not follow their example. Because they don't do what they say. They're hypocrites. So verse 5. All their works they do to be seen by men. So what is the logical thing to do after chapters 1 through 11? The logical thing to do? What's, what's a logical thing? What is, what is it? Make yourself a living sacrifice. Die. That's the logical thing to do. So that we can please God. What do the Pharisees do? They do everything to see to please men. I think that's the fundamental difference. You know, faith is the evidence of things not seen. Can you see God's pleasure? You have to believe that God is pleased, right? Can you see men's pleasure? You can see it and feel it. And how about displeasure? If someone condemns you, do you feel that? Well, we're focused on the wrong thing here. We do focus on the wrong thing. What do we do when we're trying to please men? Well, we, do, we don't sacrifice self. We sacrifice others. Look at 13 and 14. Or 14. Let's look at 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. You're cheating and stealing from these widows and abusing them, taking their money for yourself while you're trying to look all spiritual. So we don't sacrifice ourselves on the altar. We sacrifice others. I will, I will continue on no matter how badly you hurt. Me, that's different. Okay, well, what about verse uh, 15? We don't lead others to life. We lead others to death. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel land and sea to win one proselyte. When he's one, you make him twice the son of hell as yourself. This word hell is Gehenna. It's the valley where the, the cesspool and the... And the and the and the burning things are happening outside of uh, outside of uh, Jerusalem. It's the Valley of Hinnom, and it, and it's the picture of death and sin. So we're not leading other people's to life; we're leading other people's to death. And uh, guilt recruits, self justification recruits. We're irritated when someone else is demonstrating that we're out of bounds by their behavior, by being right. We hate right people when we're being wrong. So we recruit them in to our wrongness. Uh, what else do we do? Verse 16. What do you blind guides who swear by the temple and say it's nothing, but whoever swells by the gold of the temple, he's obliged to, afford, to uh, perform it. So we're not dedicated to the truth. We're dedicated to having loopholes. Well, you told me you were going to do that. You swore you were going to do that. Oh, yeah, but I didn't swear by the gold on the temple. So I don't have to do it, see? We're not interested in truth. We're interested in manipulation. Uh, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay tithe of mint, dill, and cumin, these small little seeds like spices in your spice cabinet, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law. You know, we can, we can figure out how many cumin seeds or how many, how many uh, sesame seeds we have and count out 10% of that. that. That is something that we control. But mercy and justice is something we have to focus on other people. So let's just throw that away and stick with the stuff that we can control. That's unrighteousness. 
But it's what the Pharisees were embracing as righteousness. We can start to see now why righteousness of the law really ends up with this big self-justification project. Verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside, full of extortion and self-indulgence. When we are in unrighteousness, we care everything about appearances. Why? We want to be thought well by men. But what we really enjoy is corruption. Because we can get our way. Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers in the blood of the prophets. So, even though we have a rotten heart, a dead men's tomb on the inside, and we're whitewashed on the outside, and we're extorting from widows, and we're manipulating the truth, at least we have high self-esteem. See, we've self-justified. Look at how we can do this. Well, I'm glad I'm not like those guys in the past. I never would have done that. You know, there was a study once, and they looked at different segments of the population. And they found that the segment that had the highest self-esteem was convicts, prisoners. Doesn't that make sense? The the more your ability to self-justify, the worse your behavior would be. Well, self-esteem is esteem that we grant to ourselves. And it feeds into unrighteousness. Seeing ourselves the way God sees us brings true esteem. Why? Because we see how much God cares for us. What He's done for us. The elevated position He's put us in. The amazing thing He's letting us do is serve others. And He actually wants us to ascend to His throne with Him, which is a reward. That's not something that's imputed. And the way we do that is by suffering the same suffering He's suffered. And He's offered it to every one of us. It's the most esteemed thing in the universe. But it's not pronounced on ourselves. It comes from God after faithful service. So, we're all about actions in Jesus' economy. Not words. But the Pharisees were all about words and not backing up with actions. Well, that's unrighteousness. That's what unrighteousness looks like. Let's look and see what righteousness looks like. Let's go back to Romans. And we're going to breeze through Romans 12 through 16, looking at some verbs. And we've already seen, present your bodies a living sacrifice in verse 1. Be transformed in verse 2. In verse 3... Don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but think soberly. So, another thing we need to do is think correctly. Don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought. This is not false humility. This is knowing where we fit. And I think the most important part about this is understanding what we're good at and what we're not good at. You know, every strength is a weakness. If you just flip it over on the other side. Is it a strength or weakness to be well-ordered? And have a plan, and be well and really structured. Is that a strength or a weakness? Yes. Yeah, it's both, right? Because in some circumstances, it's awesome to have a great plan. You don't waste time, and you're efficient. But then, if there's a need for innovation because circumstances change, and you won't, then it becomes a weakness, right? 
Is empathy a strength or a weakness? Yes, right? If somebody's hurting, it's a tremendous strength. If somebody needs correction and needs to and needs to have a two before, you know, kind of logic in there, well then it's then it becomes a, an obstacle. Uh, and it, and flip side, you know, I, if you're a truth person, that's a strength. Unless somebody needs empathy, then then it, then it's not so strong. That's the way we all are. So we ought to think of ourselves, understand what we're good at, understand what we're not good at. Why? Because verse six, we want to use them. That being our gifts, God has given each one of us gifts. And what we ought to do is embrace the gifts we have. What do we tend to do? Wish for the gaffes we don't have. That's human nature. But if, if we, in humility, uh, embrace the gifts that we do have and use them, that's what righteousness looks like. It's interesting, this, this body analogy makes me think, and this is a kind of a theory I have, when Paul wrote Romans, not only was he addressing these objectors, these competing authorities, who were trying to undermine his message in Rome, the center of the world, so they could undermine it everywhere else in the world, not only is he answering those objectors, I think he was also answering the Greek philosophers whose influence these Roman Gentile believers who faith is spoken of throughout the whole world came out of. And if you've ever read the most influential of all Greek literature, other than the Iliad, the most, the most influential philosophical work is the Republic, Plato's Republic. You know what the operative question in Plato's Republic is? What is diakosune? Righteousness. What is righteousness? And how is it achieved? Exactly the same question that the book of Romans answers. And you know what Plato's answer is? Uh, Through Socrates, who who does this through a Socratic dialogue. Uh, His answer is that righteousness, or justice, if you read an English translation, it'll say justice. Same thing. The just shall live by faith. Diakosune or dike. What righteousness looks like is when every person does what they do best for the city-state. When every person does what they do best for the city-state. So it's a very legalistic, non-organic answer. But it's a very similar answer. And Paul comes up and his answer is when every person does what they do best for the body of Christ. It's organic. It's living and active. And it's transcendent. It's not just a puny human government. This is something that is united with Christ. It's completely integrated with God. It's not man trying to become God. It's God imputing His righteousness on us and us getting to live it out. Daikasune, the body. Uh, Verse 9. Cling. Another verb, cling. Cling what? Cling to what's good. Be kindly affectionate, verse 10. See, all these things you see, these are fairly intangible things because how do I know that I'm, I'm exhibiting my gift? How do I know that? Well, faith is the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. It's not going to be tangible. It's going to be tangible because you make it tangible with your faith. You're going to know. Whether you're, you're using your gifts. And you can have, have others help you, right? It's a body. I play my role for you. You play your role for me. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is allow yourself to be ministered to. 
and to ask the question, what am I good at? And what does that look like when I'm benefiting others? And what does that look like when I'm not benefiting others? My gift. Well, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Give preference to one another. Focus on what the best interest of others is. Their best interest may not make them feel good. Not lagging in diligence. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Steadfast in prayer. What is prayer? It's interceding for someone else. It's admitting we have need. It's connecting with God in a way that's not going to give us some tangible result perhaps right then. Sometimes all of this can become tangible. But it begins as something intangible because it's by faith. Verse 14, bless. Bless who? Those who persecute you. Well, how do you do that? It depends. You may bless them by telling them the truth. You may bless them by turning the other cheek. It depends. Rejoice, verse 15. Who do you rejoice with? Those who rejoice. Weep. Who do you weep with? Those who weep. Meet people where they are. Don't insist they meet you where you are. You you meet them where they are. Verse 16. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. The Pharisees hated associating with sinners because they believed it brought them down. And one of the things you do as as a social climber is evaluate your place on the ladder by who your friends are. And so you're trying to associate with those who are higher than you so they'll bring you up. Well, that is living in a world of pleasing men. And we're trying to please God. So don't focus on that. Focus on the humble. You want to bring them up. Bring them up in social standing with that. No, bring them up in, in uh, standing with God. Verse 17. Have regard for good things in the sight of men. Live peaceably. Give place to wrath. For as it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Let God be the judge. One of the hardest jobs in the world to do is be the judge of the universe. It's really difficult. There's 8 billion people and keeping up with them all is really difficult. So just let God do that. It actually is a way of bringing peace into our lives to let God do that job. Verse 21. Overcome evil with good. And interestingly enough, one of the ways we overcome evil with good is government. Government is something God gave us for good. Doesn't feel like it all the time. That's one of the reasons we need to be engaged in it. Because it's our job in our, in our government, it's our job to bring righteousness. Because the government is supposed to serve. Be subject to the governing authorities. Be subject to authorities. Pay your taxes. Verse 7. Render to all who's due. Taxes to whom taxes. Custom to whom's custom. Fear to whom's fear. You, did you ever think of it that it's bringing righteousness to the world to pay your taxes? That's it. Be honest on your taxes. Uh, verse 8. Owe nothing any, to anyone except to love one another. Don't, don't be in debt to other people. If, if you owe somebody an apology, go give it to them. Don't just hang it out. If you owe somebody a, a, a favor, you know, pay it. Fast pay makes fast friends, they say. 
Verse 11. Oh, sorry, verse 13. Walk properly. Like in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness. Verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see all these things are, are transformative notions. They're not, they're not to-do lists. Uh, there's nothing wrong with doing a daily devotional. But that is to flow out of this transformed nature. There's nothing wrong with evangelizing other people. Everything right with it. But it's to flow out of a transformed nature. Uh, there's nothing wrong with a mission project. Everything right with it. But it's to flow out of a transformed nature. And it's to be done in a way where our gifts are being applied as God has granted them to bless others. And when we have a mission project, we ought to have the, the main focus be to bless the people on the other end. Even though we are blessed, uh, chapter 14, receive. I'm going through the verbs here. Receive. Receive who? Those weak in the faith. Somebody whose conscience bothers them at just about everything. Just receive them. Why? Verse 10. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Remember, we started this with unrighteousness is trying to please men. And the logical thing to do, given the argument in Romans, is make ourselves a sacrifice. Give up our lives. Raise up our resurrected life so that we please God. Well, we're going to find out what pleased God. We're going to find out. Right now, we can just receive it by faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, I know of nothing against myself. I've examined myself. I know of nothing that I've done wrong. But that doesn't let me off the hook. I'm going to find out someday. Because I'm not the judge. God is. Well, that's kind of unsettling, isn't it? But didn't we say this was from faith to faith? There will be a time when faith disappears. This is the only little part of our life we get to know God by faith. It is a treasure to get to know God by faith. The angels don't ever get this opportunity. Just us. Well, don't waste it. And don't worry about God. Do the best you can. That's what He cares about. Do the best you can. We can't control what God thinks. We can control what we think. And we can control what we do. That's it. Paul says to his friends in uh, 2 Timothy, who he really wants to be blessed, he said, I pray that God, they will have mercy at the judgment seat. I'm sure I'm going to have all kinds of stuff come out at this judgment seat of Christ that I would prefer not to hear. But all of it will be good for me. I trust God that He knows best for me. I would like to have it hurt as little as possible. I'll do what I can now about that, right? I can't control it. Verse 12. So don't judge other people. Don't sit in God's judgment chair. Don't put a stumbling block in people's way. Not everybody has the same freedom you have. Some people, your freedom is a stumbling block for them. Don't don't use your freedom in a way that makes other people stumble. Verse 19, chapter 14. Pursue. Pursue what? Things that make for peace. Verse 22. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Isn't that interesting? Don't have your faith become a stumbling block to other people. 
You know, faith is something between you and God. It's not something to use to lord over other people. Uh, When we get done with this, you know what we're going to be? Dead on an altar. Uh, There's no place left for self. But that's when we can really live. And the resurrected life can bring us actual fulfillment. Everything God intended us to be. I think Jesus said something like this. If you want to have all the life you can possibly imagine, then lay your life down. Chapter 15. Bear. Next verb. Bear with the scruples of the weak if you're strong. Not just to please yourselves. Verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Focus on where other people are coming from. We'll go through and dive into these things as as uh, as time allows, as in in subsequent weeks. But what this is all going to mean is we're going to have to see what other people see. We're going to have to learn to listen to what they actually are hearing. Listen in such a way we can see what they say, see and hear what they're hearing. That's hard work, and sometimes very uncomfortable, especially if they see something about us we didn't really want to know. Because we may have to change. Verse 7, Therefore, receive one another. Receive. Receive who? One another. How? Just like Christ received us. How did Christ receive us? While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That stinks, doesn't it? That we have to receive other people even when they're not receivable. Well... This is what righteousness looks like. This is what God has set out to us as, okay, if you want to see some tangible evidence of what righteousness looks like, it looks like this. Chapter 16, verse 19. Be, verb is be, be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. So we have to understand evil because we live in a world with a lot of evil. But what we want to be experts at is doing good. So this is what righteousness looks like. This is how we see chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, and we start to get an idea of what we're talking about here, righteousness of faith. Those are all theoretical words. They're conceptual words. Well, when you put that into practice, what does that start to look like? Uh, let's just close by looking at 12, 1 and 2 again. Now, in in light of this context that we presented here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren... And we're talking to believers here. Romans is a book that's written to Gentile believers whose faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Uh, Baptism isn't in this list, I think, because these are already people that are baptized. Salvation's not in this list, or justification salvation, because they're already justified. We're talking about how to live here. The, the, The book of Romans is about how to live. The just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. What does live by faith look like? Well, it it, it looks like presenting ourselves a living sacrifice. Every day we're giving up self so that God will be pleased. Every day. Holy, acceptable to God, which is the logical thing to do. Why is that logical? Because the alternative is death. The alternative is slavery. The alternative is sin and the consequences of sin. He showed us this back in chapter 6 when he said in verse 16, Do you not know 
that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. It turns out that we get to, one of the choices we get to make is who to obey. Uh, we don't have a choice to not obey anybody but ourselves. Because when we obey self, we're putting ourselves under slavery to sin. And when we obey God, we're, we're putting old self to death and we're becoming everything God really intended us to be. And we have really life. True life. And then verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Now we're talking about people here who are justified, who are walking, their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. But we can have our faith spoken of throughout the whole world and still be conformed to the world. Because every day we get to choose who our master is that day. And we can walk away from being conformed to the image of Christ. Because we get to choose that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how do we renew our mind? We think God's thoughts after Him. This is, I think, where Bible study comes in. Daily devotional as a checklist to say, I am righteous, is can be like tithing mint, dill, and cumin. Uh, devotional pursuit, however that's done, whether it's daily or, or in immersion periods or whatever it is you do, in order to renew minds come, coming to this class, in order to renew minds, that is being transformed. And that is exactly what righteousness looks like. Why? So that we can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And what is that? It's to think soberly. Understand our gifts. Apply our gifts. Think about others. See what others see. Meet them where they are. Accept them when their faith is weak. Let God be the judge. Don't sit in God's judgment chair. Pay your taxes. Be subject to the governing authorities. Don't owe anybody anything. Walk properly. Accept those who are weak in the faith. Pursue peace with others. This is what righteousness looks like. It's going to be different for every one of us. Why? We all have our own unique station. We all have our unique circumstances. We all have our unique gifts. So, how will we know? By faith. And we'll know when we get to see God in person. He'll tell us. And if we're listening... He'll tell us now, because the Spirit is always leading. He's given us a renewed life, and He's given us the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And if we'll ask, I think He'll tell us. Righteousness by faith, it is what God desires for us. God, thank You for um, visiting us. Thank You for this amazing book of Romans. Your servant, Paul whose uh, intellect is available to us through this uh, preservation of this letter. Thank you for the miracle of preserving this letter so that we can be blessed by it 2,000 years later. And I thank you, God, that you have given us the substitutionary life and the ability to put to death all the deeds of the flesh and all this nastiness that is is our base nature and walk daily in this resurrection life. I pray for every person in this room that you would just have the Spirit tell them and encourage them to the extent that they're walking in your Spirit to give them blessing for that. And for the things that you want to reveal to them that they can put to death so that they might be fulfilled all the more, that you bring it to them in a way 
that blesses them this week. Uh, God, I thank you for these ministers that you have gifted to the body. Each one of them that has a unique capability of bringing your will into this world. And we know heaven's a place where your will is done. So when your will comes into this world, we're bringing heaven to this world. And I thank you for all the amazing gifts in this room. And I pray that you'll just leverage these gifts and bless these people as they they exhibit their gifts to the body. Because I know, Lord, you've given these people an amazing uh, span of influence. And when Satan comes in and tells them that their gift's not important or their gift is not um, as, uh, as esteemed as other gifts that you'd help them renew that mind and, and uh, believe you that what you gave is exactly what you wanted them to have and that your esteem's what matters, not the esteem of men. Uh, God, I thank you for the power that you've given us to overcome sin. And I pray, Lord, that that power would just exude through us as we meet others where they are and bring peace to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.